Hope you're having a good weekend so far. Hope you guys all had a good uh, New Year's Eve and a good New Year's Day. And uh, if you or somebody that uh, you invited us here for the first time, thank you so much for being here. It is an honor and a privilege to have you uh, with us. Uh, my name is Clark Jeanette, and I help lead our Young Adults College Ministry New Perspective uh, here at Grace Church. And uh, we've been in a series called Creatures of Habit. And if you, uh, again, are here for the first time, we go through series where we usually pick a topic, talk about it for um, a couple of weeks or until we run out of stuff to say about it, and then we move on to something else. And so because uh, we're in a brand new year, we thought it would be culturally relevant and extremely helpful uh, to all of us if we talked a little bit about habits. And so uh, habits is something that we, we all have. Good habits, are hard, they're hard to uh, start. Bad habits are hard to break. And so we want to talk a little bit about the fact that uh, we asked ourselves last week, uh, would we be open to the possibility uh, that God wants to speak into our habits? What would that look like? And so uh, if you weren't with us last week, I would encourage you as well to go to our website. You can uh, get caught up on our uh, messages at medinaeast.graceohio.org and uh, get all caught up that way. And uh, so last week at the end of our time together, uh, Tony mentioned that uh, throughout this series, we're, we're kind of uh, asking ourselves, um, again, like, what would it look like if God spoke into our habits? And we ended our time by saying that the story of our life is determined by the substance of our days. The story of our life is determined by the substance of our days. And so today we are kind of dovetailing out of last week into a brand new um, topic today. And we want to talk about our very first uh, habit. We want to talk about the habit of getting into the Bible. So today's message title is this, uh, Creatures of the Word creatures of the word. So if you got your Bibles, go with me to Psalm 119. And if uh, you do not have a Bible, then we can provide one for you. Psalm 119 is on page 425. And uh, again, if you don't have a Bible, just take one of ours, do us a favor, and just write your name on the inside. And uh, we'll make that a gift from us to you. Happy New Year. And if you are more of a digital person, then you can also download the Grace Church app for free. If you go to the app store, just type Grace Ohio, and you can uh, download the Grace Church app. And you can get to Psalm 119 uh, that way as well. So that's where we're going to be going today. And uh, before we get started and dive in, let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every single individual in this auditorium here this morning. Um, Lord, thank you that we have a new calendar this year, and uh, Lord, I ask that you would lead us and guide us in this conversation today. Um, God, I ask that we would be open to the possibility that you want to speak into our habits, and uh, God, I just ask once again that you would just lead us and guide us in this conversation, and I pray this in your son's uh, name. Amen. Well, guys, about five years ago, I uh, went on a young adult spring retreat for Grace Church. And uh, five years ago, um, going on this retreat, uh, I was just now kind of getting back into the church. And uh, if you know anything about church retreats, they usually give you an itinerary. And it has a lot of the basic stuff on there, like what time is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's always the first thing that I'm looking for. And then there's also session times for like when the speakers are going to be speaking during the sessions. This this, uh, itinerary had a specific... Uh, section for devotion time. And at this point in time in my life, I had no idea what devotion time was, what it was all about. And here at Grace Church, we just like to be real honest and uh, really just get down to brass tacks. Uh, Guys, over five years ago, I had some pretty 
unhealthy uh, habits in my life. And um, just to be honest, you know, I was regularly uh, kind of partying and getting high and getting drunk a lot. And so uh, coming to this retreat and, and for them to talk about devotion time, they said, we're going to have this time where we get alone in the woods and we're going to open the Bible and we're going to uh, read it and have God talk to us. And so I'm, I'm just thinking like, man, this is just really not my style. I don't really do that kind of thing. And so this was a very intimidating, daunting thing for me, as you can imagine. And so going on this retreat, I'll never forget what one of the leaders said to us. Uh, she said, I understand that for some of you guys, you don't get into the Bible and this could be kind of intimidating. And I'm thinking, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so she said, well, what I, what I would uh, recommend you to do, here's my advice for you. Uh, find a nice, quiet place in the woods, get alone, open your Bible to Psalm 139, read it a couple of times. And then just talk to God. Say, God, if you're real, then just show me. And so I took her advice, found a quiet place in the woods, sat down, opened my Bible, read Psalm 139. And if you're not familiar with Psalm uh, 139, it's King David, and he is uh, talking to God. It's an Old Testament. And he, he said, the stuff that he says is absolutely fascinating. He says, uh, God, you have fearfully, wonderfully made me, knitted me together in my mother's womb. Uh, he says, God, if I were to count your thoughts about me, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And it was in that moment that I thought to myself, gosh, man, if the words on this page are true, then my life can never be the same again. If the words on this page are true, then, then this changes everything in my life. And it was in that moment that, that for the very first time, I thought, man, I think the God of the universe wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with me. And it sounds funny to say that, but... It's true. And I thought, man, my life is just never going to be the same. This was before Bible colleges, before I knew how to study, interpret the Bible. I felt God speaking to me through his word. And so why share that with you this morning? Well, because today I want to talk a little bit about the fact that, as we mentioned, good habits, let's just be honest, they're hard to start. Bad habits, they're hard to break. I want to share with you a habit that changed my life forever. And I think it can change yours too. As a, as a matter of fact, I know for a fact that it can change yours too. And see, some of us, we really need to hear this this morning because we're heading into a brand new year of 2016. And for some of us, uh, we, we, we just, we need this. It's so life-giving. I really, I know, I believe that this can change you. This is the key to a healthy marriage. This is the key to, to healthy friendships, life-giving, meaningful friendships, family relationships uh, with your coworkers. When you get into the Bible and cultivate a habit of getting into this, this word, it, can, it has the power to completely and utterly defy your life trajectory. I know it does. And so I want to share that with you today. I want to talk a little bit about that habit and how we can cultivate that here this morning. And so Psalm 119 is uh, where we're going to be today. And uh, for the sake of time, we're not going to go all through Psalm 119. There's over 170 verses. And so I know for some of us, we want to be able to watch the Browns and the Steelers game later. And so I won't keep us all day. But uh, I will say this, it's Psalm 119, it's, it's really all about um, just being passionately devoted to the Word of God. And so it's over 170 uh, verses long. It's an acrostic. Uh, it's an amazing uh, thing. I would encourage you to read it on your own time. We're going to use that as a jump start to kind of uh, stimulate this conversation, get it going a little bit here today. So Psalm 119, and uh, one, of the, one of the things that I just love about the Bible is the fact that it's authoritative for all times, all places, 
And uh, when you hear biblical scholars talk about the Bible, they tend to use these words. They say the Bible's infallible, that it's inerrant, that it won't mislead you, that it won't misguide you. And it's just really a fancy way of saying that we can depend on the Bible, that we can trust this text that has been transmitted for centuries upon centuries. And uh, right off the bat, we notice the psalmist mentions, right in verse 1, notice what he says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. And notice that word, law. For some of us who grew up in the church, uh, we have kind of this injected presupposition where we see law and we think, well, that's part of Deuteronomy or that's part of Exodus. Or that's Moses and the Ten Commandments, right? It's not necessarily the wrong answer, but if we were to read not only Psalm 119, but really just the Bible in its entirety, we would come to find that the Bible refers to itself as law. That what I mean is jam-packed within this text, there's all these different literary genres from historic to narrative to, to poetic. And uh, really most of it is, is that, only a section of it is law. We see even in the New Testament that Jesus Christ himself refers to the Psalms as law. When he quotes it, there's two places in the New Testament that Jesus quotes the Psalms and he says, it is written in your law. And why is that important for us to know this morning? Because it means that law is all normative, that it's all authoritative, that it's all binding on us. And so every single uh, paragraph, every verse, every word, every letter is authoritative. And uh, we see that every word matters. The psalmist mentions in verse 151. Notice what he says. He says, yet you are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. The psalmist believes in an infallible, inerrant word of God. In verse 160, the psalmist says, All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Again, there's a place in the New Testament that Jesus is his famous sermon, sermon on the mount. And what he says is, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. And that word abolish literally means to loosen. And, and he's saying that I don't want to change anything in the law. I don't want to change any jot or any tittle. And uh, a jot would have been the smallest of the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew letters. And a tittle would have been uh, the smallest part of the Hebrew letter. Jesus says, I don't want to loosen any of them. They're all binding. They're all authoritative. And so let's just pause here a second. Because I know and I understand that for many of us, this can be unpalatable to the spirit of our age. That for some of us, the Bible, when we look at it, at face value, it seems kind of regressive and archaic and primitive. And we think, like, haven't we evolved in our knowledge and in our reasoning? And I just wrestle with this idea of an infallible, authoritative, inerrant word of God. And it just seems like when I open it, there's no give and take. And that it just seems so confining, right? But what if I told you that, that the Bible wasn't confining, that it was actually by way of contrast, unbinding? What if I told you that the Bible wasn't limiting, but it was actually liberating? Liberation is one of the things that the Bible grants us. Let's talk about this for a minute. Liberation, the psalmist writes in verse 45, he says, I will walk about in freedom. And some of your translations say liberty. He says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. And what he's saying is, Really like the exact opposite of what most of us would think when we open the scriptures. Because we think that it would be so confining, that it would be so limiting. But the psalmist is the exact opposite. He says, the more I submit to God and the more I acknowledge him. <clears throat> Excuse me. The more I submit to God, the more free I am. Well, how can that be? 
how is it that the more we submit to God, the more free that we are? It just seems so backwards, right? I believe that the Bible is, is liberating in a, in a couple different ways. Now, I'll give you two. There's more than two. I think it's both culturally liberating and psychologically liberating. Culturally liberating, in a sense, think of it this way. Imagine that you're talking to one of your great uh, grandmas or grandpas, or, or even if you know anything about history, it shows up the same way. But by a show of hands, how many besides me had an opportunity to meet your great-grandma or great-grandpa? Anybody? My great-grandma Charlotte, I loved her. She was so awesome. Uh, she made really good pie. Uh, That's besides the point. But we would have some really good conversations. And um, some of the stuff that she would say, though, I'd be like, Grandma, that's socially unacceptable. Like, you can't say that, you know? And if you, and if you have great-grandparents, you know anything about history, that's, that's just how it shows up. So there's a point to this. So think of it this way. Um, about 50 to 70 years ago, if you think what was written on the editorial pages of newspaper, uh, we look at that, and 20 to 50% of that we kind of think is utterly embarrassing. And a lot of stuff that, you know, our great-grandparents, a lot of their ways of thinking it can be utterly embarrassing to us as well. Well, the thing is, Grandma Charlotte's not a bad person. Uh, the people that wrote the editorial pages of newspapers 50, 70 years ago, they weren't bad people. They were just people of their time. And so here's, here's the point. So, like, a lot of us, we think that we've evolved in our intellect and in our knowledge and in our, in our reasoning. And we think that we're at that moment, that ultimate cultural moment, where we've got it together. Like, we've evolved in our knowledge and our reasoning. And we're not going to make those same mistakes. But here's the question. How aware are we of the fact that 50 to 70 years from now, our great-grandchildren will probably look at 20 to 50% of the things that we say, do, and think, and they'll be utterly embarrassed about it? Or how aware are we of the fact that 50 to 70 years from now, educated readers will look at the editorial pages of our newspaper and be completely embarrassed about it? I'm just saying, it's not outside, outside of the realm of possibility. And so, what if I told you that there was a way to critique our culture, though? What if I told you that there was a text that has been transmitted upon centuries upon centuries that has helped culturally liberate millions upon millions of people? That's what the Bible does. It culturally liberates us. And we've seen this throughout history play out. And there's a lot of examples. But I know one, uh, William Wilberforce. This was a guy who was transformed by the Word of God. And he got into the Bible, and he helped galvanize the abolition of slavery. And it just, it just culturally liberates us. The Bible both culturally liberates us, and it also psychologically liberates us as well. Notice what the psalmist says in verse 133. He says, Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. And what he's saying is that God's word is the center of my life. He's saying that, when God's word is not the center of my life, that something else is. He says, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin roll over me. He's saying that I'm, there's nothing more psychologically liberating than making God's word your ruling authority. There's nothing more psychologically liberating than making God's word the center of your life. He says in other verses, in verse 45, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. 46, I will speak of your statues before kings, and I will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commands, because I love them. It says in 41 and 42, May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. I think these verses are definitely worth pondering. 
Because again, there's, there's nothing more psychologically liberating than making God's word the center of our life. The psalmist says that I used to be driven by money. I used to be driven by uh, human approval. I used to be driven by status. I no longer live under the tyranny of those things because God's word is the center of my life. He says, I'll speak of your statutes before kings. He says, I don't care what the king thinks of me. I don't care about human approval. I no longer care about that because death doesn't even scare me. I'm psychologically liberated of that. And so I'm not afraid. And again, we could talk more about this. I know this shows up in my own life where I used to live for the approval of other people. And I used to live for the status of other people. But when I learned that God's word is infallible, that it's authoritative, that when I make this the the ruling authority of my life, and I don't let anything else take the center of my life, because when this is not the center of my life, then something else is going to be. And I've just found that out from experience. The Bible is both culturally liberating, psychologically liberating, and I think that's helpful to know. But what I really want to talk about um, with us today is the fact that the Bible is the apparatus that God has given us for an intimate, personal relationship with him. And I think that's what we forfeit and relinquish the most, more than anything else. I think it's helpful to know that the Bible liberates us. But, but when we uh, think that the Bible is, is a problem for intimacy with God, um, that's a problem within itself. The, what if the Bible wasn't a problem for intimacy with God, but it was a precondition for an intimate, personal relationship with God? The psalmist says, All your words are true, All your commands are true. Again, he believes in an infallible, authoritative word of God that won't mislead, won't misguide. So let's talk about this idea of relationships for a a little bit. If you think of a relationship, personal relationships, it shows up this way. In any personal relationship, you're going to experience give and take. It's not personal if there's no give and take. It's not personal if there's no loss of your independence It's not personal if you don't lose control. It's not personal if your will is never crossed. And those of you that um, are married or you're dating or really just any friend or family member, any human relationship at all, it's not personal if those things are in the picture. And so the reason I bring that up is because that's how it is with God as well. In regards to personal relationships, um, there's a lot of examples I could give for me personally, but this showed up big time. Uh, my freshman year of college. I lived in the Pacific Northwest uh, for over a year, and I lived in a house with seven other dudes. And so I learned a lot about relationships in that house. And uh, my will was crossed. I experienced give and take. I experienced loss of independence. I lost control in the relationship. My will was crossed when I saw that the trash needed to be empty. It was overflowed. And I thought all of us would just make that cognitive decision to empty the trash when it got full because it would smell. And uh, that's not how my will is crossed when we would use dishes, but we wouldn't clean them after we used them. And so my will was crossed there sometimes. Or my will was crossed when somebody would use a metal spatula on a Teflon pan, because that's going to ruin the pan. So I was like the dad of the house, obviously. But here's the thing. I'm not innocent either, because trust me, I probably crossed their, actually, I know I crossed their will. I made them feel like they lost their independence. I made them feel like they lost control of the situation. I made them feel the same way that I felt. There's give and take, is what I'm trying to say. It's the same way with God, you guys. Again, any of you know this, those of you that are married, those of you that are dating, those of you with you know, friends, family, any human relationship. And if you don't have that kind of stuff there, if that's not in the picture, I would argue that's not a really 
That's not a human relationship. That's a relationship with a robot. That's an exploitative relationship is what that is. And um, so let's talk about this for a second. The, the secret to understanding the Bible, I want to show you a couple other verses that the psalmist gives us in Psalm 119. In verse 45, or, uh, 24, he says, Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Now, for some scholars, they wrestle with verses like this in Psalm 119 because they say, man, it just seems like he's a little bit over the top uh, because he almost like personifies and idolizes God's law, his decrees, his precepts, the word of God, the Bible. And um, so let me show you what I'm talking about. Your statues are my delight. They are my counselors. Counselors, that's personification that he's using there. If you think about what a counselor is today, it's like a therapist. It's like a social worker. The psalmist says that the Bible, that's my counselor. In verse 48, he says, I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Some translations say, I lift up my hands to your commands. And what is that? He's talking about worship. But not just any type of worship. Worshiping the Bible. In verse 37, the psalmist says, Turn my eyes away from worthless things. He's talking about idols. Preserve my life. That word preserve literally means save. Save my life according to your word. That word according means through. The psalmist is saying, save my life through your word. He's calling the Bible Savior. So again, scholars tend to wrestle with this sometimes. And, and they think that it's a little bit too over the top. And I want to show you why it's not. Um, here's the question. Is it appropriate to refer to the Bible as counselor, as an object of worship, as savior? Let me show you a passage in the Bible, probably one of the most profound and staggering passages in Scripture. Let me show, show this to you, because I think that a lot, of, a lot of us, things are just going to click when I show this to you. In the Gospel of John, in his prologue, notice what he says. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. Says, in the beginning was, catch this, the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Dropping down to verse 14, John writes this. says, the Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of of grace and truth. So what does this mean? Well, according to the Bible, Jesus Christ is wonderful counselor. According to the Bible, Jesus Christ is the object of worship. According to the Bible, Jesus Christ, of course, is Savior. Jesus Christ is the Word. What this means is that the Word-made text points to the Word-made flesh. It's profound. So let's talk about this for a second. Imagine, or think of it this way, why do we use words? If we're creatures of the word, why do we use words to express ourselves? Either orally or written. But there's always this frustration that we run into, right? Because we can't do it perfectly. It's hard as we try. I've experienced that during the earlier service. This one a little bit. We can't express ourselves because our mind and... (laughs) 
You guys know how this goes. Because our mind and our mouth, they don't want to work together sometimes. But here's the thing. God, because he's God, he's given us the word-made text. And he says, it's perfect. It's all God-breathed. The author of Hebrews says that for the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword, separating soul from spirit, joints from marrow, judging the thoughts and attitude of the heart. The word of God made text is perfect. And then God doesn't stop there. Because God says, I express myself in two different ways. The first way is through the word made text. But it doesn't stop there. Because God says that would not be sufficient to express who I am to the world and what I want you to do to the world. And so how does he do that? To sufficiently express who God is to the world, what he wants us to do to the world, he sends Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. It means that the word made text points to the word made flesh. This is profound, you guys. Because what it means is that when we read about throughout scripture, about the prophets, about the priests, about the kings, and the word made text, it all points to Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, and the ultimate king. And when we read about, throughout scripture, about all the temple sacrifices being made in the word made text, it points to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. It's profound. You guys remember Jesus in the garden? Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And this is very profound because because it really begs a good question, right? We, We asked ourselves earlier, when we are talking about relationships, we said, it's a two-way street. If, if It's not personal if there's no give and take. It's not personal if wills aren't crossed. And it's not personal if we don't lose our independence. It's not personal if those things don't show up. So how does it become a two-way street? How are we supposed to have an intimate, personal relationship with God? How on earth does that happen? Well, it happened at the cross. Jesus Christ lost control for us. Jesus Christ lost his independence for us. Jesus Christ. Remember in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is talking to his heavenly father. He's talking to his heavenly father and he says, I don't want to do this. I know that I have to die for their sins and I know I have to pave their debts. I know I have to die to pay their debts, but I don't want to do this. But you remember what Jesus said? He said, nevertheless, Not my will be done, but yours. 2,000 years ago, on the cross, Jesus lost his independence for us. Jesus lost control of the relationship. Jesus had his will crossed so that we could have a personal, intimate relationship with God. And you cannot lose control in a relationship any more than if you're nailed to a tree. But Jesus did that. It shows us that the word made text points to the word made flesh. Why do I trust the word made text? Because I know what the word made flesh has done for me. And that's why we get cultivate a habit of getting into the word of God. So let's talk about this for a second. Guys, imagine what this could look like if this became a reality in our lives. If we realize that if, if the word made text points us to the word made flesh, if every prophet, priest, and king that we read about in the Bible points to Jesus Christ, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. I feel like we should tap into that intimacy a little bit. 
Here's one thing that you can do this week. On our website, if you go to medinaeast.graceohio.org, under the uh, ministry tab, under Know It, you'll find a a bunch of different Bible resources, uh, Bible reading plans. And I would encourage you to start one of those. Uh, Because we believe that when the Bible opens, God's mouth opens. And, and, And we know that our will is crossed when we open the Bible, right? And that we lose independence, we lose control. But let's not forget that Jesus did that exact same thing on the cross. And so because of it being a two-way relationship, that's what compels us to want to get into the Bible. That's what compels us to want to cultivate that relationship. And that's what causes that intimacy with God to show up in our lives, in our day-to-day. And so you could, that's one thing you could do this week is to start a Bible reading plan. And there's a lot of ways that this could look in your life. Uh, for instance, the book of Proverbs, there's 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. For uh, most of the time, the months out of the year, they have 31 days. So you, whatever day uh, of the month it is, read that chapter of Proverbs. Um, maybe for you, if you were like me, the Bible, this is just a really a daunting, intimidating thing uh, for you. I would encourage you to read the Gospel of John uh, from, from start to finish. And, and you'll, you'll see, I, I, I bet you, your life will never be the same again. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, At this point in time, I just want to invite the band to come up. And as they get settled in, again, let's let's think about this for a second. Imagine what this could look like if if it became a reality. This this I truly believe, you guys, that this is the key to a healthy marriage, to healthy uh, family, meaningful friendships. Because when we get into the Bible, it just it just bleeds into all areas of life. And I'm telling you that intimate relationship. When we, when we realize that the word-made text points us to the word-made flesh, and when we realize that all of the, every prophet, priest, and king points to Jesus Christ, everything in the Bible points to Jesus, we realize what he's done for us, that just becomes life itself. And that's just how that works. And uh, I'm, I'm going to pray for us here now. Uh, the band's going to play a song, and it, it's going to talk about being in the presence of our Savior and I just want you to, to think about that. Think of how profound that is. I believe that we're always in the presence of God. But I believe that when we open God's word, the word is text. And we realize and uh, are able to know that it points to the word as flesh. That, there, that, that has profound implications. And that we truly are in the presence of our Savior. So, if you forget everything I said today, remember this. The word made text points to the word made flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, uh, that you uh, have provided for us, God. You didn't leave us as orphans. You have provided us with your Holy Spirit, God. You've given us uh, the word made text. Lord, we know that it has profound implications when we open this uh, text that has been transmitted for centuries upon centuries that has culturally psychologically liberate people God we know that it has profound implications God our life could never be the same Lord we trust the word made text because of what your son Jesus Christ has done as the word made flesh God help us to never forget that Lord help us to realize that this is not just words on a page that this is life itself that we live for the one who died for us. Lord, I thank you so much for this. I ask that you would lead us and guide us to cultivate the habit for this to become our day today. Lord, show us that 
the story of our life is determined by the substance of our days. So Lord, help us to cultivate the word-made text that points us to the word-made flesh. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.